live hi chris how are you good hi chantelle hi uh so i am the uh director of culture at eaton hk uh, my name is chantelle and uh i have next to me christopher Keho. i'm just gonna call you chris over the <laughs> the interview um and we have been working on a project which uh chris has titled embassy sites um but really this conversation has been going on for close to two years now uh, maybe like one and a half years um, and it really organically happened um, when he came to visit me he's a old friend and in some ways colleagues um, uh, a year and a half ago um, he visited Eton before it was fully renovated and um, he was expressing his deep interest in hospitality and hotels um, and at that point we already said when it's ready you should come and do residency and you should do an exhibition. Um, I want to then turn it over to you and ask, um, how did that conversation lead to this research? Um, what other, I know that there was another project that came out of it um, and what was the journey to get to here, embassy sites as a, yeah, no. Well, I think that was a, a, a great introduction. Um, I'll first note the, I'll first talk a little bit about the title, mm -hmm. Embassy Sites. Uh, it's a play off of Embassy Suites, which is a sub-brand of Hilton Hotels. And one of the reasons I was interested broadly in hotels is the way that hotels functioned for many years as outposts for countries. So Hilton for the United States. And so that was a very broad concern that I, I appreciated uh, and I liked uh, when we talked. Uh, more specifically, uh, Jordan, as this kind of row of Hong Kong hotels, I had in my memory as a child coming here. And so that also intrigued. Um, much of my recent interests have been about what it means to leave uh, for me, the United States, my adult home, and return as part of a reverse diaspora to my childhood home, or my birthplace, which is Hong Kong. And so those two things in combination made Eaton an incredible sight. Uh, so yeah, we were. I, I was asking about the journey from the first conversation to this point of the project, um, how the project and yeah what what other um research has has you've had to ha go through um i know that you've had an exhibition at the bronx news gallery mm -hmm. yeah um and you also did uh a residency at desat and i think in some way it was also part of that research um so how did it get to what yeah. it looks like now yeah. um yeah, absolutely both uh, my last two solo exhibitions the at the bronx museum and at desart here in hong kong were related. Um, just to give uh, a little bit of background, the Desarth exhibition was called CX888, uh, which is named after the Cathay Pacific flight that goes from New York, uh, actually goes from Hong Kong through Vancouver to New York, and then its companion flight comes back uh, through Vancouver, so through three countries. 
Uh, and that was an exhibition where I first, you know, from our first conversation, uh, I was thinking about sites of reverse diaspora. So airplanes, for instance, that kind of connect these points, these cities, which are really a lot of Hong Kongers are in, Vancouver and, and New York. Um, thinking about these sites uh, of, of reverse diaspora, like airplanes and hotels. And I followed that up with the, the, uh, my last exhibition at the Bronx Museum, which is called Aloha to the World from the Don Ho Terrace. And Don Ho was a, a, a Hawaiian singer who happens to share my last name. Hawaii, like Vancouver, uh, used to be a stopping point from the West Coast back to Hong Kong, and flights would have to stop and refuel there. So it's kind of an in-between space. Um, and those two explorations, hotels, airplanes, and also these in-between sites, possibly Vancouver, definitely Hawaii, um, those all kind of led me to think of how hotels like Eaton are also very much these spaces with um, Split identities isn't even the best uh, way to put it. Um, Foucault's term heterotopia might be a little bit better, but these spaces uh, that are that seem, you know, to be to be non-spaces. And so, embassy sites was a was really thinking about that and using the opportunity to using the opportunity of actually being sighted in a hotel, having a gallery in a hotel, uh, as a way to fully realize uh, these explorations about, uh, about uh, hotels as non-sites. In terms of research, um, I started reading a lot about uh, the age of migration um, and uh, also about uh, about, um, you know, I, I think there are two kinds of research. Uh, there's the, the kind of reading type, um, but uh, there's also the research which is a little bit more introverted and thinking about, reflecting upon how I felt. And these last three shows have been very personal. And so uh, some of the research was really also about thinking of uh, my own journey from Hong Kong to the United States with my parents, and then also as an adult, uh, possibly returning here. So if that counts as research, I, mm -hmm. I would say that's, that's also very much uh, you know, two years of, of reflection from when we first started talking. Um, and. Not that I want to overly describe the show because um, we're hoping that everyone comes to, to see it. Uh, but yeah, one way one can describe the show is through the exactly the, the artworks, um, and that's in the press release. But if you were not to necessarily go into describing every or the artworks in the show, how would you describe the experience of the show for yourself when you were creating it? What it what it is right now, I, you know, you could, using the works as an example is fine. But I, yeah, I'm just trying to. If we move away from from that way of describing it, how else would you describe the show? That's a great question. It's a challenging question. <laughs> I'm gonna take 15 seconds to think about it.
would describe the show in terms of a particular subject. And this is a subject who is a contemporary global nomad who is not forced to travel, but who travels, or at least not entirely forced to travel, um, but who travels in part by choice. And it's a subject who feels less political allegiance to nations than he or she or they um, feel affined to a set of shared cultural signifiers like American Express Platinum Cards, La Mer, Creme de la Mer, and um, WhatsApp and SIM cards. Uh, so that's, I would, I, would, I would describe the kind of feeling of the mm. show in terms of the subject that uh, underpins uh, these proper nouns. Uh, and all of the things that I've listed are in some form in the show. Mm. This actually, I mean, I didn't necessarily draw this connection before, but it reminds me of, what is the show that you did in, Forever and today. So. In a way, it, yes, there is much. this like desire, this aspiration, which are words that we've used already. Um, and maybe that's a little bit more of a suburban, you know, care subject, a suburb white guy subject. Um, but it's not that dissimilar because I'm just thinking that there's a certain level of. If it's a bit sensitive, but a certain level of conservatism to this character, um, and it almost upholds a certain or, or a culture, certain culture. Um, even though on you know on the one ha one level there is the WhatsApp, there's a SIM card, which is obviously the the common you know it's just a common denominator. Um, and then on the other hand, there is this like yeah the the, the things that are so latent and prescriptive like the American Express to La Mer which is again we I was calling it an inside joke but you know I don't even think I mean only if you know or you're on the outside is is it kind of funny you know because when you're on the inside it is your your identity you know um, which likelihood is that it has always been your identity there's a certain level of the signifiers that is so acculturated you know this um, but yeah, anyways, I was just, I'm, I'm thinking out loud that the connection back to your, your previous work, because I can see how on one hand it's moved because um, the interstitial identity that you're exploring um, has seems to have, like there was a solid, I, more solid identity that you were um, not interested. It's less, it was in, less intersubject. I think it was you vis-a-vis -vis another identity before, and now it's more auto, like more biographical in your exploration. Um, not auto, like biographical in that you are between these spaces, you're trying to, um, but there is still this connection. That's a very astute observation. And I thought about that show at Forever and Today, Privileged White People, very much <laughs> when I was uh, working on, on embassy sites. Mm -hmm. and. One of the, you know, one of the, the formal similarities mm. is the, are the size of the galleries. So, you know, by resizing mm. um, 
tomorrow maybe to the size of a hotel room, I also made it the same size as Forever and Today, which was、mm. a small gallery、uh, in in New York's Chinatown. But more, I think, more profoundly is the connection you're making about the 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 attempt through an exhibition to describe a particular kind of subject, and that subject from privileged white people is the title. I was、implies. like trying to dodge, <laughs> dodge saying things like that, and I was like, "Oh, actually, here it just, is, just, just out the there." Title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was very much a, a kind of a white suburban northeastern subject, and and the embodied through Dawson from Dawson's Creek, a kind of a, a good person. And I would say that you know the polemic of privileged white people、uh, was, if there was one, was not to necessarily. Look at privilege and whiteness as necessarily negative,、mm-hmm. but rather thinking about the culture of northeastern elites, northeastern U.S. elites, and thinking about what are their possible positive attributes. And for me, Dawson and Dawson's Creek is a great example of a privileged and a white person who is ethically sound. He always makes makes the right decisions、mm. uh, when it comes to his friends, and his family, and his actions in life. And I would say that with embassy sites,、uh, there is something similar going on. Where I think it's easy to look at the person who uses La Mer or who has an Amex Platinum card,、um, or someone who. Just goes from hotel to hotel and what seems to be a lifelong vacation.、Uh, to look at that person, pejoratively, negatively, and critically. But also, one of my interests is to think about the—it's a big word—but potential politics、um, and progressiveness of this subject, which is to say, to think about progressive. Politics as something that can be shared、uh, among different classes、mm-hmm. of people, and class is another like very big word、mm-hmm. that I really hesitate to use, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm using it. Yeah, that's、um, what I, 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 you know, I'm not a very politically literate person. Um, so when you make your references, and there are a lot of、um, like from Nixon to、um, the paintings in the White House,、um, like I, I can, I just want you to just like yeah, elaborate a little bit more on that, just because it's something that's so beyond me, and maybe like for I don't know people who like it, it, Americans, it might be a little bit closer to home. So yeah. Um, there, it, it 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 ended up that you're absolutely correct. The the、uh, the exhibition is is、uh, centers around significant dates.、Mm. So、um, the earliest one is is 1972, which is the year that President Nixon visited China in a landmark connection between two countries that hadn't really been on speaking and certainly not diplomatic terms for some 20 years. And so Nixon's trip to China in 1972 was one touch point, and I drew from that year's Christmas decorations from the White House、um, to make、uh, at least two of the works, possibly three, in embassy sites. The next date up, specific to Hong Kong, is 1984,、uh, the year of the Sino-British Joint Declaration, and. 
uh, for me, it's 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 a way of of nodding to Hong Kong, but also to really think about possibly events that are going on here in Hong Kong now. Uh, in a broader historical context. Uh, so there's a stack of en Encyclopedia Britannica from 1984. And in the, in the entry about the joint declaration, I slipped a old letter from, uh, from the emperor to King George III uh, in the 18th century. Uh, that was also very much, that, that where it's apparent that like the, the dynamic between Britain and China was very different. Um, and I, I just wanted to think about the, the points and, uh, of, of contact and how the power relations and the hierarchy was different uh, from the 18th century to 1984 and then of course to today. Um. And uh, um. There seems to be a particular interest in in numbers. I don't know if this is like, do you think, I mean, not that there's conscious, but yeah, the from the Amex card to the dates, um, I don't know if that is something that surfaces in your other shows. I don't feel as much. Um, so yeah, I'm just wondering, do you think that, or one minute 46 seconds is it whenever there's a plane that lands in Kaitak Airport, like, or yeah, I'm just wondering if there is. It's super interesting. You know, I haven't, uh, I never thought about that until you just verbalized. And you're absolutely right. There are a lot of, of numbers uh, down to the time of the mm. takeoffs and landings. Do you think that that's something of like a transnational experience is built around code? I think that's a super interesting interpretation. Of <laughs> I, I know, I, I really do. I, you're absolutely right. Uh, the stack of encyclopedias is mm -hmm. missing number 13. Uh, it's the first nine issues of Monocle magazine. Mm. Uh, of course, the number is in American Express card. I love the idea of, of code being transnational mm -hmm. as a form of, mm. of representation, uh, as a quasi-linguistic mm. form. I really enjoy that interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's, there could be a, I don't know, like a favorite, because I, I, you know my favorite work, but do you have something that you feel was particularly strong or significant for you in this project? I, for me, I think the SIM card is, is it really embodies um, everything so it's a it's a giant sim card on two yoga mats uh that's been gold leafed um and for me that's the well for me it's the most beautiful mm, work it's beautiful um, it's beautiful it really is beautiful <laughs> this object you. is just like so overwhelmingly beautiful <laughs> it's almost like but it's uh, with a lot of your work they are so beautiful they're like the no, one shouldn't question the purpose of it, the beauty, but you're like, it is a SIM card that is so exaggeratedly beautiful, but that is, that is all obviously part of the symbolism of it. So anyways. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's my, my favorite one, because it's, of course, also the most difficult yeah. work. Mm. Um, and so possibly that's, it's like the difficult child that you love. Because. How did you, why did you envision <laughs> it like that? Oh, God, uh, that's, that's a, 
I was down in Florida at the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation, and I remember being so lost about what to do for the show. And you and I, Chantel, had met just a couple of weeks before I went down there, the last time I was in Hong Kong, and I remember us talking, and, and I still hadn't kind of formulated the objects, the artworks in the exhibition, and I was in a semi-panic. And uh, I remember asking uh, one of my fellow residents, Martha Tuttle, uh, blindly, listen, when I say transnational, what are the things that come to your mind? And one of the things she listed was a SIM card, and in a flash I shot back, oh my god, a giant SIM card that's been gold leaf. Mm. I have no idea exactly why those things came wow. uh, together, but that's how it came together. Um, and something like a human-sized SIM card mm. that's incredibly difficult to transport. Uh, <laughs> so that was actually, I mean, maybe not consciously, but that was also part of the experience it's that was created. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The manifestation of this was this, like, importable mobile object. It, wow. Totally. And I, I also remember uh, at a certain point thinking, you know, I made... As an artist, you make these kind of full-scale mock-ups, uh, pinning it onto the wall and thinking, no, this is just not going to work to ship to Hong Kong. I need to make this smaller. And I also remember thinking, no, it's only funny when it's big. Yeah. It, it doesn't work when it's small. So hence the giant SIM card. Um, and it's, uh, it's fascinating because the SIM card is also very similar to the chip inside a uh, credit card. And so mm. I thought that was a very nice relationship to the duvet. And there's just a huge play of scale. Giant mm. SIM cards, giant American Express cards, miniature, look, they're Amer, um, creme de la mer uh, bottles. And so I also wanted to think about that. Just going back to your comment about the numbers, um, there's something abstract about mm. numbers that is n not physical. and. Playing off of that, I think the kind of jumps in scale in this exhibition uh, are also kind of, it, perhaps mm. it's, it's motivated by a kind of dissociation from three-dimensional mm. reality. Yeah, I mean, somehow this show just, I mean, I, I haven't physically seen many of your shows, but, you know, having followed your work, it feels very different. Like, the immersive experience feels very different from yeah. And it might just be because I've spent immersive, in an immersed mm. way uh, now three and a half weeks in a hotel. This hotel I, is a very immersive experience. <laughs> <laughs> there are days that I... That's when he sells I, the hotel. <laughs> this is, <laughs> we pay I mean, all of them to sell the hotel. <laughs> I, this is not me selling this hotel. I'll, I'll rephrase it. Hotels are immersive experiences. Um, you know, I've always been the traveler who never wants to leave the hotel uh, and would much prefer to just go to the food court and go to the gym and spend time on the grounds um, as a miniature world or a kind of resort-type vacation. I realize it's not very adventuresome. No, I love hotels. I, okay, I mean, see, I mean, you in, do in too. That, like, I, when I go to a hotel, I know I'm just going to spend 24 hours or 48 hours staying in bed and watching TV. Like, it is, it's, it's really sad. But it's like... It is not. <laughs> it is the most gratifying 24 hours. Abs I'm totally yes, there with yes. you. <laughs> uh, are there any final things I think you mm. wanted to add? 
I know this is it's been a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I will I, I can share because my favorite work, which Chris Chris knows, but it's I think it's just the the level of sad irony that it is because it is so close to home. Um, I think I'm 34. I'm not. I'm not I, think, I am 34, um, and skincare is really something that occupies my everyday existence and it is sad and like I hate that it does consume me in some way but it does like it's just in and you know I've been getting facial since I was 15 wow. like I am an Asian woman like it's just become part of my identity and it's so relatable like as, as much as and it's when you put it into this context of this subject of this you know, international traveler you know and there's the duvet and like there's all these layers of, of aspiration and um you know it's on one hand sad because you can relate like the sim card like i can't live without it like you get arrived you're like you try to get online blah, blah blah if you can't get online you get frustrated um i'm an amex you know it's like there's a certain identity of an, of an amex card and then there's this brand la mer which is a skincare brand and as and, and it's not necessarily that i've always wanted it but it's always in the back of my mind and i you know when i'm looking at those cathay pacific catalogs i do wonder could i afford it like it's definitely no i'm just gonna go to the xk2 level um there is definitely this aspiration one day it will be worth it for me to spend that much money to heal my skin and there's this beautiful story around that mayor which is like that there was this person in the military and like he would he, he had he burned his skin and then he came up with this like amazing product that was really organic made of like i don't know mud and you could and it it would totally heal rejuvenate a person's skin um so the entire storytelling process of it is also just so romantic you know um, and the color the color tones is sort of soft pink and like these earthy greens almost like reminds you of like I don't know anything from a veranda to like I don't know trip in in, in Tanzania, you know. Um, but I think a lot of it just it does come down to relating to it on a level of being a thirty a mid thirties woman, hoping that I will never age. Well, your skin looks great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still saving up for the bottom. Of Thank you. Um, it's always preventative, you know. Like right now, but I go home and literally, face. I'm starting downloading face yoga. <laughs> it's so sad. Listen, Chantelle, yeah. I started looking into face acupuncture. Mm. To get the chief, like totally <laughs> makes sense. It totally <laughs> makes sense. It's one step before Botox, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've also my my. I was having dinner with my friend who works at a gallery. She's traveling all the time, and just, I was like, "How do you keep your skin so good?" She's like, "Honey, you know, like I have to." She does get like she's thirty six, and she gets like injections. And then I was like, "Oh, so what do I do?" And she's like, "Well, you first need to get rid of these lines around your nose." And she started literally pointing out the areas I need to fix in my face. <laughs> so, the irony of the mare stroke is real. Hits home, but also like just such a funny joke at the same time which is makes the show itself so clever like it is such a clever show yeah it's Thank a beautiful they're beautiful objects um the subject you could totally relate to um and yet it's such a and i was saying yeah, again you think the uh, meta, um, analogy of an inside joke is that you really as much as this person is not you you really get this person you know you feel so intimately familiar with this person um and every we all know somebody like that but at the same time we are kind of like that as well you know i think that's where it's poking fun but also 
Look at ourselves. Yeah, that's it for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thank you all. <laughs> Hope to see you tomorrow. Thank you, Chantel. Oh my god, you have such great observations about work. Yeah, I, I mean, I really, it's funny, like, I I really feel like I get art. <laughs> you know, like, it's a funny thing. Like, I don't necessarily write about or nor am I curator, or do I, I call myself a curator, but I, I really feel like I... I agree. Yeah. I mean, just from, like, and you, I mean, I, and also you, you know, yeah, for like just seeing the, the, the work for the, like a complete show for the first time yesterday, I think like really, you're a very good, com you, you know, you pick up on things, mm. you pick up on maybe like motifs or, or, or things that are really super interesting. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I really think it's an amazing show. Thank it's a so very, much. very good show. Um, and I think the journey I was sometimes like, but um, I think it, it, it's super strong and it Goes far along. exceeded my, like, not that I expected, because I, obviously there's a reason I invited you, but at the same time, you never know, you know? Um, and, you, you know, you can't expect every artist, every single moment to create something that comes together, because sometimes it's a and this could have been, and it would have been fine, but...